0: Welcome to this week's MTD podcast. In this podcast, we will be discussing ways to reduce cost per part on high-mix, low-volume work. I'm Giovanni Albanese, hosting today's show, a passionate engineer and a member of the MTD team. Today, I have the pleasure to be joined by three special guests. Firstly, Lloyd Cooper, an advocate for technology and plant manager for Parker Anupin in Sheffield of Instrumentation Products Division Europe, a passionate engineer with a strong, innovative business approach. Welcome, Lloyd.
1: Welcome. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a real big pleasure. Um, so, really excited to get into discussing some of the stuff today.
0: Now, brilliant to have you, Lloyd. And, uh, and, and secondly, uh, we also have the pleasure to be joined by your colleague and partner in crime, James Hutting. 18 years in engineering so far, he started at the age of 17 as an apprentice apprentice in precision tool making for the automotive industry and quickly got involved with CNC milling, programming and after completing his apprenticeship went on to other roles in the oil and gas, nuclear and defence industry and now a senior production engineer at Parker-Anathine Sheffield. Welcome James.
2: Thanks Joe. it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, Brilliant, brilliant to have you as well, James, and uh, look forward to getting into this uh, podcast. Uh, And and, and finally today, um, a good friend of mine for over 10 years now, we met from bumping into each other at large OEM companies over the years uh, on a weekly basis, an industry leader for sure, and a very light light, and well-known face within the industry, helping OEMs and end users alike, a work-holding master. Nick Peter, the managing director of Winebook UK, welcome, Nick. Thanks very much. Jerry. I'm really impressed with that. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, well, it's it's great to have you all on this uh, on this podcast on this MTD podcast. Um, it, it's an absolute pleasure for MTD. Um, this all stemmed about from our visit to your facility in Sheffield uh, last week, James and and, and Lloyd, um, and it was an absolute. Uh, pleasure for us to kind of see the kind of work that you do in the uh, the investments and technology um, that you're investing in. Um, firstly, and uh, before we move into that, can you all just give me a very brief uh, overview, really, of of kind of what what got you into engineering, what you like most about engineering, and about the businesses that you work for, respectively, and I'll start with you, Lloyd, if that's okay.
1: So, really, it's a bit of a family affair. Um, my dad's a senior mechanical engineer, so before I could really um, articulate words, he was he was showing me drawings. He used to, so we, my dad came up the design engineer and Um I think on the, the first ever CAD packages when I was a young kid, I was I was learning to draw squares and extrude circles and things like that. So I've always been heavily exposed to uh, engineering and really, you know, getting involved with the understanding and the applications of stuff. Um, and that really manifested itself growing up, you know, building things. I was very much into bikes. You know, I, I was welding my own bike frames together at like 14 and 15 my first job was in um, one of the places my dad worked was in a little uh, CNC turning shop. Um, you know, at first, just sweeping, sweeping up and cleaning the swap out the, the bottoms of the lathes and stuff. And it, and it you know developed a little bit, getting on the manuals and just turning simple components. So really, I've been exposed to engineering throughout my entire life. And it's just grown and grown and grown, really. Um from a business perspective so I, I did similar route to my father um at university I've done design mechanical design engineering so really heavy in obviously component fda analysis um things like that after uni I've gone into uh, I did a couple of years of project engineering more like structural steelwork platforms and structures um but then but then I made after that the jump into operations so Quite two diverse businesses I've worked in. The first was an aerospace company um, looking at like siliconized um, seals. So quite unlike um, most typical engineering firms with more polymers. Um, and then coming towards Parker, which is cryogenic valve. So chalk and cheese in terms of product applications. But you know, I think from a personal development point of view, having a solid engineering uh, engineering grounding has served me so well in my you know my ability to manage operations within any business. And I think you look at a lot of senior leaders, and they all represent, they've got very representative backgrounds in in engineering. So, I think it's been a, a fortunate thing that that's what I was into from a young
0: age. Yeah, well, it's 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 sounds like it's in your blood, Lloyd, and uh, I think that that come across. Um, you know, when we've come to meet you at your facility um last week i mean yeah we, the, the passion comes out and the innovation and the technology side of your kind of business strategy is something that we, we'd like to touch on a bit more later in this podcast so uh, thanks for that Lloyd. Now, now james can i ask you the same question please you know what do you like most about engineering and uh, what how are you finding it at park uh oh well,
2: firstly um <clears throat> the, the, the main thing that I enjoy about engineering is um, just that, that satisfaction that you get when you've um, actually created something. Um, although it's a, a very sort of technical uh, industry, um, you know, if you're a creative person, um, you know, it's, it's a fantastic career. Um, you know, because a lot of the time you do have to sort of think outside the box when you, when you come to solve a problem, and that's where that sort of creativity can be put to good use. Um, I'm really, really enjoying my time at Park Hannafin. Um, I've been very lucky in my career so far that I've, I've, I've worked for some good companies with fantastic support from, uh, you know, the the management, uh, and and other, other people that I've been working with. Uh, and it's much the same in Park Hannafin. Um, you know, they really do like to foster the talent, look after the talent, um, and create a, an environment where you can and grow and, and develop yourself. Um, that you know, that, that's that's one of the, the big takeaways that I, I get from working at Parker.
0: Oh, brilliant. And uh, I think that education is key by the sounds of it, James. And I think that, again, it was a pleasure to meet you last week and I look forward to discussing uh, the automated uh, project that we were looking at. And, 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 and Nick, uh, what about you, mate? Yeah, I mean, much the same as Lloyd, really, to be
3: honest. I've got a granddad that was an electrical engineer, a very hands-on practical guy, um, would give me things, bring things home from work when I was quite little and put them on a tray, a little electrical switch box, and said, there you are, take that apart, I'll give you a pound if you manage to put it all back together again the next week. So from a very early age, you get used to taking things a bit to bit, putting them back together again. And that possibly sort of want to learn and find out how things work. My dad was also an engineer and again like lloyd i used to go and sweep the floor on a saturday morning while, while he got me a sausage sandwich so that's quite <laughs> a quite nice introduction to things but yeah it was pretty obvious then that i was going to go on to uh be an apprentice and a um, mechanical engineering apprentice which i did which was a great thing to do to be honest and apprenticeships i think are very undervalued um because i got to work in all departments drawing office workshop floor everything at all so you meet some fantastic old guys who can teach you an awful lot of stuff and that, that sort of stuff that you learn when you're sort of 17 18 19 really stands you in good stead all the way through so I'm still learning now engineering is one of those things that you uh, never are an expert in you're always learning um, but just keep going it's, it's a wonderful job to have as my dad said when he uh, gave me the engineering apprenticeship he said to you'll have a job for life and he was absolutely right
0: yeah, I think that's some really good points there, Nick. I think you never stop learning because technology is just evolving at such a fast rate. It's hard to keep up with it at times. And 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 going back to kind of what you said about, you know, going back to like you you guys, you know, the ground roots from when you were kids and, and your grandfathers and, and fathers, you know, my children, you know, they love trains at the minute. They love cars at the minute. It's the, it's the perfect time to kind of, start get them learning about engineering i, I don't know what happens to them while they're at school but they seem to lose it and come out of school not as interested in it sometimes and i think that there's definitely something there that whilst they're at school that there needs to be more of an emphasis from them um and and the apprenticeship thing where you're actually making components and learning how to make components having a feel for it is absolutely imperative because you can't design anything in, in, unless you know how to make it or else you're kind of just completely over-engineering or potentially over-engineering uh, components. Lloyd, you've got something to say about this?
1: Uh, I still think we might make that mistake as a funny little anecdote. I remember my first week in, in industry after university, um, we were designing this uh, aluminium lifting platform. And I still think as much as of a good engineering background, I remember putting a a clearance hole in something for a, um, a bolt and it you know it worked in the cad model and i remember some big hairy um on-site engineer busting in the office and going how am i going to get my span around that <laughs> 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 but it, it,
0: it's it's so true when i was in the aerospace industry uh we used to manufacture well, we i used to work on a cell called strangers and aliens so any new components um for the engines used to come through this cell before we uh, so we proved them out we create the fixed string jigs um, and once we got them passed off they'd move on to the production cell and some of the tolerances that were tied tied up um, in in non-critical areas where that particular part of the component effectively would be in fresh air it was ridiculous or the kind of angles or draft angles or compound angles that they put onto these components when it was totally unnecessary. Um, It just kind of puts a big cost onto the production of these parts. It's completely um, unnecessary. And I think that that, and and they couldn't be changed because they've been proven and passed by Rolls-Royce and the OEM company. So I think it, it kind of really highlights the fact that You know, design is is absolutely massive. And I think that you need to know what you're designing. You need to know the application and you need to know how how it's going to be made. And if you've never made it before, it's very hard to design it. Would you agree, James?
2: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Even inside Parker, you know, there's been a lot of analysis done um, on that side of things, um, and there's there's initiatives in place now to address that. Um, Parker, you know, as as a as a corporation, we're very in tune with that um, because obviously we're always looking to try and make improvements as much as possible, uh, and you know, find. reduce costs or whatever so we can we can pass those on to our customers and and ultimately develop uh, better quality products and and deliver the best service we can f- for our customers uh and and yeah there's there's so many decisions that get made uh, in the design stage of, of a part that um you know that that get left to the, the manufacturing side to address you know it can cause a lot of problems later down the line so um, you know trying to keep things as simple the simplest way is always the best way i've found uh, there's, there's, no, yeah. there's no need to you know go into too much detail about things when it's not necessary uh, and like you yeah. said it, it's very much about understanding the application uh, do you really need it
0: yeah no absolutely spot on lloyd you've got something to say about this
1: yeah i think i think you know much to james's point i think you know, holding unnecessary tolerances um, just for the sake of it in a lot of drawings, you know, it, as much as it will be difficult operationally, but you, you've got to think of the added cost for you to be able to machine it and, you know what I mean, or the added potential scrap value if you can't uh, achieve it on any of these products, you know what I mean? So um, I think it's very important for most businesses to consider, you know, cross-functional teams that are, uh, Of paramount importance, but from the absolute onset of the new product introduction, you know most businesses do it almost like a baton race. You know you'll have your pre-production engineer design it, or pass it to some production engineers or program it, and operations are going to figure it out. But you really need all those guys around the table at at the onset of any new project, uh, project, because you know you could be trying to achieve something that's just going to incur you tons and tons of cost. And I think. If you can bottom that out, you know, you can pay yourself back later on when you, you know, when you talk about investment in machines and stuff like that, um, you could probably either lower spec your machine or, or something like that, or, it'll, or things will pay back quicker rather than having told micron tolerances on stuff uh, because a, a design engineer was not questioned on what he was doing.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's it's simplification, isn't it, Lloyd, to a certain degree, and and kind of starting it from the component, not the machine, doing it the other way around. Now, Nick, Nick, Nick you've got something to say on this?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, with all new products, they start with the design engineer. That's the thing, and he designs everything uh, how he actually wants it to look, how he wants the tolerances to be, with no real thought for a production engineer or a manufacturing engineer who's actually got to make the part. That's, that's the issue. So as Lloyd said, really, you need everybody around the table to start with to get the part, not just with microns all over it, but actually working the most efficient way it can do, but actually manufactured in the most efficient way as well. And that comes down to what we started talking about is the price per piece. You don't want this thing to be over-engineered. It, as it's got to, You said it's got to be as simple as it needs to be without complicating any particular part or uh, dimension on it.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that 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 boils down to communication, and I think that, that you know from from my experience on the shop floor, there's definitely it was definitely lacking from you know the, the 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 operators on the shop floor to management to upper management, and I think that having that 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 communication from the ground all, all the way through the, the organisation is is absolute. It's key, absolute key. Now, Nick, just sticking with you for one minute, you know. You know, work holding. You know, it plays a big part when when trying to hold. You know, irregular shaped parts, castings, for example, and and it must give you some big obstacles when you're trying to, you know, give someone a solution. And again, you know, surely this boils down to the design. You know, people could potentially design a part with excess material on there or, or holding features. So. You could do it in a in a in a more productive manner. What kind of what's the worst example that you've seen of an over-engineered part? Oh gosh, quite a
3: few to be honest. Um, the worst <laughs> the worst problem really is tolerances that are put onto parts that just don't need to be there, really, and relational tolerances that have then got to be machined into a part um where you're actually holding on a part um, that's actually got to be machined within a few microns on the other side so you're now transferring parts from spindles that have got to be held accurately the amount of different shapes we get to hold on spheres and all sorts of things now because the amount of things that are manufactured now aren't just car parts they can range from medical parts which you've got complex spheres and shapes on them right the way through to aerospace parts and uh, defense parts but it is still comes down to making things as simple as possible nobody actually usually thinks about work holding until somebody's got a part in the hand and they got they want to make it and then it's almost too late so one of the best things we do is actually talk to uh, machine manufacturers Um, with the customer, with tooling people, work-holding people, and talk, all get round the table when people are trying to make a part and come up with the best solution for everybody. So at the end of the day, the customer gets um, a part that's made in the most efficient way possible, and it's all done with the right machine, the right work-holding, the right tooling, and done in the correct way the customer wants. So it's important everybody as engineers within a company and also the different branches that are helping out to actually all come together and
0: talk together yeah well nick that leads me on to my next point absolutely perfectly nick you know uh we, we were we were at park Runneth in sheffield last week um and lloyd this is a perfect opportunity to tell the listeners about the latest in, in investment in the automated sound now this was a real collaborative uh project you know so many different suppliers working on this project can you kind of our audience how, how it how it came about really and about what, uh, what it entails
1: so um the the product um, we manufacture are cryogenic valves um again any weird and wonderful size you can imagine so we do a, a, a huge mix of variety in like say product shape sizes but from uh, a more specific machining perspective it's really short batch work so we're incurring so many sets on a regular basis um so you know we typically we might be setting for half an hour on, on an, uh, some of our older machines to run a 10-minute job. So, you know, it, it, it's not productive from a financial perspective. So we, we really wanted to make an investment that we could really take a lot of that lost time out. Um, and we, we really went to town specking it from a perspective of what we wanted it to do. Um, you know, we wanted the flexibility of, of a robot to be able to load and unload this thing uh, we wanted bar feeding capability um which we, which would not had or utilized much before um, but then really importantly there was a strong focus on the reduction in, in like changeovers and setups um, and that really made us focus quite significantly on work holding and what we could do there um so the the lathe we've gone with is a, a DMG mori nLX 2000 Um so with a twin spindle, which is something we would not utilize before having a twin spindle, um, we, we've got a hydro feed bar feeder on the back, an ABB flex loader robot. Um, but, that, but then most importantly, again, you know, uh, looking to mix um, company with the work holding, really going from 30 minutes to, in some cases, you know, for a collet change, 30 seconds, is been such a game changer in our ability to service our customers in terms of lead time um but but also from a cost perspective you know the, the one thing i always say within the business is cutting and transforming product is what the customer is paying you to do they are not paying you to, to set up or change your uh, your machine so really you know that's where hindbook fit fit the mold perfectly with that um is that you know if i'm going from uh, one bar size to another i don't have to incur any undue lost time so all in all that was about five hundred thousand dollars for that entire package but and in initial instance, it sounds like an awful lot of money for any company to uh, to invest. But when you look at, you know, when you're talking about eighty percent setup reductions on some of your your key product families. This is going to pay back this business within a two year period. You know, what I mean, if if somebody t- uh, told you you could uh, give me a lot of money today, but in two years I'll, I'll I'll pay you back, and then two years after that you'll double your money. It's probably an investment you're willing to make. Um, so, like you say, it's, it's been a very collaborative effort, but it's been, from the outset, I think, a um, a, a testament to, you know, the collaboration with businesses and actually fitting the, the, the original heck of what we wanted from it.
0: Yeah, I think that, that means fantastic points there, there, Lloyd. And I think that a good analogy there in regards to an investment, you know, it, it's basically once it's paid for itself, it's just continuously making money for free then, isn't it? Um, so it's it's you know you, investment is key and um, before I move on to the the setup reductions, I mean obviously when you're doing low volume work, setup reductions is 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 massive. But you wouldn't necessarily, or, or most people, most engineers wouldn't necessarily assume the automation lends itself to high mix, low volume. What would you say about
2: that, James? Uh, it, it's it's a, a big sort of fear, I think. Um, the, the, the key thing is is that, that automation has come such a long way in the last few years. Um, you know, you, you can do almost anything with with automation now. Uh, when we first started looking into it, um, you know, we did start, you know, we got the impression from uh, people that we were speaking to that, oh, you know, it, it might not be worthwhile because, you know, it is such low mix, sorry, high mix, low volume. Um, you know, it, really it's for when you Making thousands and thousands of the same part over and over again, um, but w- we persevered with it, and 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 we found the the system uh, with ABB, and I think that the key thing with that sort of system is, is the vision system um, that that we settled on. Um, the the ease of of programming and setting up for that, and the, its ability to recognise the complexity of parts and shapes, um, you know, it really really helped us with that um and, and, and again just just don't close your mind to it you know there's so much technology out there um there's something for everybody uh, and like we, we stuck with it and, and we, we found um you know what i would think is the perfect solution for us
0: i mean it is a fantastic solution and, and you don't often see two forms of automation on, on one on one uh, cell if you like so you've got the bar feeder for, for bar but you've also got the ABB for, for billets or, or casting components so, so you've got ultimate flexibility there and obviously it creates the unmanned running as well so you can actually you know run overnight 24-7 you know work dependent now Nick you know you've just had a fantastic testimonial there in regards to the work holding solutions that you've provided um, and, and the kind of setup savings that, that, that that's that, that's helped with. You know, can you explain what products you've got on the NLX 2000, Nick?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we've
0: got
3: two collet chucks, one the end, which are our sort of top plus uh, collet chucks, which have uh, 65 mil bar capacity. These chucks give you about 30 to 40 percent more clamping pressure than a normal three-door chuck. Um, and also far more clamping pressure than our normal system. But the secret of it is that you can change a collet over in phew, literally seconds. Um, and if you want to go, you can go as far with the automation side if as you like. Once you've integrated a robot, which is the bit everybody's scared of, um, you can actually change over the collets with the robot and all sorts of things like that. So it makes changeover of parts, certainly with the work holding, very, very quick. So you can reduce your batch sizes and hence the um, price per piece as well. Um, Then we needed a larger capacity as well. So they wanted to put a three-jaw chuck back on uh, when needed with some parts. Well, changing over three-jaw chucks to collet chucks is not something everybody likes to do at all. It's time-consuming. It's not particularly accurate. Um, But our new uh, three-jaw module allows... um, Uh, companies like parker to change over from a collet chuck to a three-jaw chuck in literally a couple of minutes and still maintain accuracy and high uh, clamping pressure so the secret of it all is to actually still maintain accuracy within the work holding and hence the part maintain the accuracy be able to change over quickly and still have a very high clamping pressure if needed so you maintain the rigidity and hence the surface Finish and um, the accuracy, so all that works together to actually make a part that comes out as really nice as some of those Parker parts do. And and, and
0: effectively, you kind of you're keeping that spindle turning, aren't you? You know, you're making a big investment into to to kind of that kind of project, Lloyd. And the last thing you want is you know half an hour setups, an hour setups, and that machine tool being down, not being fully utilised and new. So this kind of brings us back to, you know, how important is it in the UK um, for people to invest in the latest technology to reduce cost per part? Lloyd, I know that, you know, from the beginning of the podcast, you've looked into this a lot um, from a business uh, perspective. How important is it? And I know that we're in a privileged position being able to visit a lot of shops where they've had the luxury to invest but not just for big companies like yourselves but for smaller companies too.
1: Yeah I think I think yeah. we've definitely seen in the last 10 years that there's been uh, an ever increased focus on obviously profitability for businesses and, and what's happened by extension to that is people have been looking more towards low-cost countries and I think you know, as a UK manufacturing base, we're only starting to get as uh, to grips with, you know, making investment um, on automation, things like that, because that does make us much more price competitive. But then, you know, the, the USP we have versus a lot of um, international competitors is the fact that our product quality is of such a higher standard, um, you know, and we're able to bring more work back in. So, you know, just within our business um, as, as a case point, we've been able to endorse in the last year about 7,000 hours um, per annum of machining work that was previously done by overseas um, subcontractors. You know what I mean? And that, and that is a proper game changer for um, UK manufacturing. But, you know, Sheffield used to be one of the biggest manufacturing hubs in the North of England, and we can still be that, but it's going to take us to do um, make investments and, and try and do some uh, proactive work to, to make that happen. And, you know, like you said earlier about lights out and unmanned running, that's really how we do it because we're not, in theory, we're not paying for the lights to be on in the factory um, as an as analogy. You know, if it's truly lights out, the, the facility is already paid for by five o'clock when we go home, let's say on the existing work. So everything I do thereafter is free work. Um, so you know, it's it's a massive, massive game changer for us to be able to do things locally, cheaper, but
0: of a much higher quality. And you know, interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 key. It's absolutely key. And and, we'll, and and what part does education play into this? I mean, you know, there's still big barriers to entry for automation, and 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 and, inve- and work holdings overlooked. You know, some people just look at a collet chuck as a collet chuck or a vice as a vice. You know, what what part does education play in this, Nick? I'm going to start with you. Uh,
3: well, education, obviously. What I said earlier about apprenticeships, really. I mean, I think, I think probably all of us did an apprenticeship, and actually, it gives you a grounding, an overall grounding to the different facets of engineering, and what's possible, what's not possible. But it's still a continual learning process all the time. You've got to keep your eyes open and be willing to learn. And as somebody said earlier, that technology is moving on so quickly. When I left. Well, i left school now, I couldn't imagine half the things that are happening now. And even five years ago, things have come on. Robots were looked on as something really quite unusual. Now we're getting them commonplace now, integrated in machines, plug and play robots, everything. The vision system that there is unbelievable, to be honest, that you can just place a part on a, on a, uh, a belt and the robot recognizes where it is what's happening with it and actually just robot then picks it up and loads it into a collet automatically unbelievable but you have to be willing to learn all the time as an engineer which which, would it makes it such an exciting um, job to do
0: I couldn't agree with you more and and I think perception needs to change to kind of bring in like the best young talent into it this industry and I think that is also key James you're an apprentice yourself what do you think about this subject
2: uh, just to go back to what you said uh, education is, is the key to everything um but also uh equally just raising the awareness i mean i uh, just going back to the beginning of the conversation I, I had no plans to become an engineer when i was a youngster i was you know dead set on trying to become a pilot in the raf or uh, a musician professional musician um and then suddenly, I just changed my mind and thought, right, I need to get out there and start earning some money. And then I've, an opportunity, uh, you know, was I was made aware of, and I took uh, an interview for the apprenticeship and I got it. And within a week, I was like, actually, this is all right. And you know, I thought I could I could be good at this and get into it. And I had no idea of the the career um, opportunities that are available. Um, so like I say, raising the awareness of, of this, this kind of work, um, the rewards, you know, it's it's very, very satisfying career. And like Nick said earlier, if you, you get into it and you stick with it, it's, it's a job for life. And as we say in engineering, uh, every day is a school day. Um, you know, we're always learning. Um, you know, it, it's so, so important. Uh, I, to be honest, personally, I think that, um, this country lloyd was speaking about um, trying to bring manufacturing back into the country um and I wholeheartedly agree with that uh, it, it needs investment but we also need to foster and, and grow uh, the talent we've got such a high level of skill in this country um you know we need to invest um and you know we're we seeing we're banging our heads against a brick wall sometimes if we've got the skills just give us the kit we can do it um and i think um you know culturally as well i think there needs to be more champions more heroes of this industry just to just to bring that awareness um to the to the young people of, of today get people excited about engineering um because there's so many people you know when you're out in the world and you're talking about it it's such a vast subject you tell someone you work in engineering they, they just they don't know what you're talking about um so you know it needs to be you know out there a little bit more um, and, you know, and it's one of the good things about MTDCNC, you know, the young people now, everything's done on social media. There's, there's you know, they're living their lives on YouTube and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, th- there's already a fantastic presence there, but I think we just need to take it into schools a bit more. Um, I, I, when I was uh, about to start my apprenticeship, my granddad was a blacksmith. I went to help him out in his in his uh, workshop for a week before and uh, I had a fantastic time. Uh, and he, he said, <laughs> Did, didn't, um, "Didn't the school take you around the local companies and, and uh, you know and show you what's there?" And we're like, "No, no, it w- wasn't like that." And uh, it, it, there needs to be you know more focus on it. I think um, a lot of the education system now is is, is quite academic. Um, I think people, all people, learn in different ways. Um, and some people, you know, are, are naturally gifted at certain things and, and they may not come to realise that while they're at school. Um, and th- they're just giving people those opportunities to, sh- to shine in, in the area that they, they're going to shine in, um, you know, it could only be good for engineering. There'll be loads of kids in school now that would make perfect engineers, but they just don't know it.
0: Absolutely right. James. Yeah, great. Now, James, that's absolutely really 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 great point like I mentioned at the very beginning of the the podcast like my children like love trains cars stuff like that at the minute and it seems like they go to school and it gets taken away from them and like you say they could be like engineering found you James you didn't find engineering and so you know how do you know they, they need it needs to be focused on a lot lot more and I mean sometimes I don't want to mention any names but when you watch the news and you see engineering companies on the news, it, it tends to be old oily shops. Um, the perception of engineering in the UK certainly needs to be changed It to make it a sexy industry to be involved in. I mean, you look at Oxfordshire, the Formula One industry, we need to be seeing companies like that more on the news. It's at the forefront of all technologies and everything's made from um, engineering. And I think that, yeah, definitely with things like this will help. We'll help, But there's certainly so much more that needs to be done if we want to kind of get the best talent into the industry. Now, we're unfortunately, we're running out of time, so we, need, we could have another podcast completely on, on this. But before I go, Lloyd, have, have you ever, have you experienced any trouble getting your talent into your business? And if so, why is that?
1: You know what, interesting point there, because um, one thing we've noticed, a lot of, um, let's say, demographics within the Recruitment pool for engineers—it's it, it, aging somewhat, you know—and and the amount of apprentices is, it's more and more difficult to find um, decent talent. Let's say so, you know, it's something we're having to diversify as approach. Um, and I think, much to James's point, it's about whether we, um, when we promote, you know, the champions in our field and stuff like that. Uh, but also, I think we're seeing a bit of a movement away from some of the uh, younger people we are getting you know the wanting to get through the door but then immediately become like programmers and you know engineering managers um there's there's less um appetite let's say to you know to become time sir, to become experts in the field and and i don't know i think it's more of a cultural thing maybe than the uk that you know, it's the immediacy of life if we want information it's on our phones if we want a meal it's a it's a microwave ding away you know what i mean so um I think it's it's about as a as a society potentially recapturing um, a little bit of that aspiration for you know being able to make something with your hands, putting in the hard work, and getting a decent product out at the end. And I think that that's just going to be through education showing that these things are available. <laughs> They're not the easiest industries in the world and jobs to do, but you know the level of gratification you get yeah. is is astounding. So um, you know that's something we, we are seeing and we're really trying to mitigate at the moment.
0: Really good point, Lloyd. And, um, and and again, thanks so much for all your your time today, uh, Nick. Any last points from you, Nick, before we have to wrap this up? Um,
3: no, not really. I think I think everything said, some good things. To be honest, there, what Lloyd was saying about apprentices is absolutely true. Young kids, we need to manage expectations. You can't just come into a company and be a manager and a hundred thousand pound a year in two minutes. None of us have got where we've got to in two seconds. It takes uh, it takes time. But we have to enthuse kids, certainly, and get them to uh, love um, engineering, really. And that's up to us to do it, really, and to prove to them that it isn't a dirty, grubby job. It's a very intelligent job, and it takes a long time to be an expert in it. But you
0: have to work very hard.
3: Yeah, I, yeah
0: I, I couldn't, again, I think it's been brilliant and I think we could do another podcast on this and I would take you up on that, guys, if you wanted to join me again. I think that, you know, um, it's our responsibilities in a way to kind of take it upon ourselves to give something back and to try and attract the next, you know, next generation of engineers because if we don't who will um and and it's like the passionate engineers like ourselves that that need to do something about it well thank you for listening to the mtd podcast if you've got any comments about this podcast please get in touch until next week the mtd podcast thanks for listening to the mtd podcast if you found value in this episode please subscribe and leave a rating and review Find more episodes on
2: mtdcnc.com.